0: glad to see some of you have survived the second plague that is sweeping through our congregation. And by my count, we only have eight more plagues to go. So we are trucking along. It's good to be with you this morning. Perhaps some of you have have come and you're, you're energized. You are Feeling full, and your worship is just an overflow of your joy in the Lord and His salvation. And oh, it's good to have you with us. Maybe some of you are coming this morning and you are not feeling full, you are feeling empty. Maybe nobody knows it, but you feel like you are one step away from just leaving Christ and His church and everything that you know. If that's you, we're happy that you're here too. Because the Lord does not just call the the strong and rejoicing into his presence. He calls the weary and the heavy laden. And our Lord Jesus Christ has a specific word to the weary and heavy laden. He says, come to me. And so that's exactly what we are going to do this morning. We are going to come to our Lord by coming to his word once again. And so I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, as we hear God's word in verses 42 through 47. But we know that nothing good will happen here apart from the power of God's Holy Spirit. And so we are going to ask our Father to give us more of his spirit as we hear his inspired word. So please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, I cannot tell you what a joy it is to gather with your people. What a joy it is to be part of your family, to be part of your church, Christ's body, to have your word in our hands, to have your spirit flowing in us and among us. But Lord, we. Confess that sometimes we're missing it. We don't have that sense of awe that we ought to have when we are in your presence. And so I pray that you would give us that sense of awe here and now. That you would restore to us the joy of your salvation. And the fact that the psalmists so often pray for you to restore them gives us encouragement that we often feel like we need restoring. So we join with your people throughout the ages, and we ask for your restoration this morning through your word, by your spirit. Amen. All brothers and sisters in Christ, hear God's word to you this morning from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is describing all of those Jews and disciples who've placed their faith in Christ after Pentecost. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the holy, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word of our God, a common question for pastors and churches, a question I've been asked many times is, what is your vision? More often than not, people mean, what what kind of church do you want to be? What are your emphases? What are your passions? I've told this story before, but I was once driving with my former pastor. He was the pastor of URC, our mother church, back when I was hired to plant Good Shepherd. And I was getting this question all the time. I didn't know how to answer it. And so I asked him, when you came to URC, what what was your vision for the church? And I still love his answer. He said, my vision has always been to be a healthy church. It's not the vision you probably hear from people when you ask that, but I think it is a wonderfully ordinary vision. Local churches will, of course, have their own strengths and weaknesses. They will have their particular emphases and passions. But at the end of the day, what I believe every church should be aiming for is just health. Because that's what the world needs. The world needs more healthy churches, not more flashy churches, not more entertaining churches, not more impressive churches, not more large or small churches. The world just needs more healthy churches. And so we should be asking, what is a healthy church? What does that church look like? And by God's grace, we have a snapshot A picture, a glimpse of a healthy church here at the end of Acts chapter 2. Luke has just told us about Pentecost. He's told us about Peter's preaching and the mass conversion that took place. In one day, a church of 120 disciples became a church of over 3,000 disciples. But we may wonder what happened then after this great mountaintop experience of Pentecost. What did everyday life and worship look like for this church? What did those converts now do? Well, Luke tells us in verses 42 through 47. Now, he's not describing a perfect church. There's no such thing on this side of eternity. We'll see in the rest of Acts, you see when you read all the New Testament letters to the churches, the early church was far from perfect. We need to be careful that we don't idealize the early churches. If they had it all together and we're just floundering. No, he's not describing it a perfect church but he is describing an overall healthy church. And so as we look at this snapshot, I want us to to treat it like a mirror and ask ourselves, are we a healthy church? Is this how we individually, is this how we corporately look and live day to day? And this is one of the things that I love about preaching through books of the Bible verse by verse. You don't have to sit there wondering, did the pastor choose this text because he has some secret agenda? Did he choose this text because he's got a lot of frustrations and grievances that he just needs to get off his chest and he's really frustrated with us and wants to tell us how to shape up. No you know that the reason we are considering these verses is because they're just the next verses in Acts but they are also a god-given opportunity for us to to take our pulse to take our temperature and evaluate our health and we will of course see flaws in ourselves we're not looking honestly if we read through this and think yep we're we're good But I also hope that we will be encouraged and we will be excited to keep pressing on in everyday, ordinary life and worship. For what we're going to discover is that the healthy church is the church that is joyfully devoted to wonderfully ordinary things. So what is the anatomy of a healthy church? Number one, we see that a healthy church is a growing community. I'm actually going to work through these verses backwards. So look at the last half of verse 47. Luke says, And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now, three thousand people were probably not converted every single day. Nor does day by day necessarily mean while well, they were seen experiencing conversions every single day of the week. But it does describe a general pattern of growth. As the disciples lived day after day, the gospel was spreading, and more and more people over time were being saved. Obviously, this growth included numerical growth. But we should understand that this numerical growth was the result of spiritual growth. The church was growing because God was saving sinners. New spiritual births were taking place. Now, I believe American churches care a lot about numerical growth. It's probably the number one way we we indicate or believe and sense that a church is healthy. Well, are there a lot of people there? I sometimes wonder, though, whether we care as much about the means of that growth. Do we just care that we're adding members to our roles, or do we care that sinners are entering the kingdom of heaven? Because you can have one without the other. Churches can grow, and nobody is being saved. You can find all kinds of strategies out there for numerical growth, but Numerical growth in and of itself is not what we are aiming for. So I want to just note a few things here. And the first is just that. You don't read in these verses that the early church was putting together programs and strategies for how they could numerically grow. That wasn't the goal. Salvation was the goal. We preach the gospel so that God will keep saving sinners because that's how He said He will save sinners. And yes, if that's happening, churches will grow numerically, but what we focus on is spiritual growth. Our desire, our prayers, our labors should be to see God save sinners. And so we should ask ourselves as a congregation is that what we are longing for? Is that what we are praying for? Is that what we are working for? Do we believe that God is still doing that in our church and in our community? I hope we do. I pray we never lose sight of our Christ-like longing for the lost. I pray that our goal at Good Shepherd is never simply to have a church where we sing the songs we like, we get the kind of preaching we like, we hang out with the people that we like. I hope we will remain a church that longs, prays, and labors for the salvation of sinners like us. Because salvation is the goal. New birth is the goal. God was adding to their number those who were being saved. But also note here that spiritual growth is not just growing outward or adding people to the community. The church should see new births and rejoice, just as we as a church are rejoicing quite often as new babies are born seemingly every month. But if you walked into a church of babies, and then you kept coming to that church, and everyone was still a baby, you would start to think something's not right here. Babies, healthy babies, grow. The same is true for healthy Christians. Churches should be fervent and constant in evangelism, but evangelism is not all we do. The church is tasked with discipleship. And we have to be aware that numerical growth in churches will fluctuate. Some seasons will feel like we're adding new members all the time. Some seasons it won't feel like that. But spiritual growth should persist regardless. For Christ commanded his apostles to make disciples, not just one-time converts. He told his apostles to teach these disciples all that he commanded. And to teach people all that Christ commands takes a lot of time. In fact, it takes a lifetime. Healthy churches, therefore, are spiritually maturing. Churches. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. And so again, we ask ourselves are we spiritually maturing? Are we growing up, not just out? And my last observation here is that this growth is not actually something we create or control, whether it's external or internal. We desire spiritual growth. We pray for it. We work for it. But we don't create it. You'll notice it says God added to their number those who were being saved. See, not all churches will grow at the same rate or to the same degree, because we grow at God's ordained rate. We pursue health, but it is God who gives the growth. Not all healthy children are the same size. They don't all grow at the same rate, but they're all growing to some degree. And the same is true for churches. In the parable of the sower, the fruit from the good soil varies. Some of the seed that goes into good soil produces 30-fold. Some of the seed that goes into the good soil produces 60-fold. And some seed that goes into that same good soil produces 100-fold. That is up to God. So numbers are important, but they're not that important. If we are to be a 30-fold church in ministry, then I pray we will be the happiest, most content 30-fold church there is. But if God wants us to be a hundred-fold church, I pray we will not waste what he gives us. It's good to pray big in life and in ministry. As long as we are then rejoicing and content with whatever God ordains to give us. A healthy church is a growing community. A spiritually growing community. Number two, we see that it is a changed community. God was adding to their Church day by day, but what kind of community was he adding to? We see in the first half of verse 47 that it was a God praising community that was well thought of by the people around them. You see this in the first half of verse 47. Now, of course, as we'll see in Acts, the church would face opposition, they would face persecution, not everybody liked them. But generally, those outside the church who saw the way that these people lived thought, that that's a good way to live. And one of the things they saw was a people constantly praising God. This was a worshipping community. It was also, we see, a united community, a loving community, a selfless, joyful, and generous community. Briefly glance over verses 44 through 46. Without analyzing every little phrase, as you read through those verses, what's the overall impression you get of these people? What were they like? Well. Obviously, we should see these These were a together people. Day by day, they were with one another. It actually seems like they liked being with one another. They were in the temple and in each other's homes day by day. They would gather at the temple day by day so that they could hear the apostles teaching. They needed a space large enough for all of them to come. And so they would listen to the apostles teach them the gospel day after day. But it wasn't just these big public gatherings. They would gather together privately in each other's homes, sharing food and fellowship. So they were a united people, but don't you also get the impression they were a happy people? Now so of course, they suffered trials and temptations. You read the New Testament letters, one of the most common themes is the apostles writing to churches to, to try to help them deal with the suffering they were facing. Yet Luke says they received everything with glad. And generous hearts. Whatever they received, they were happy. They were thankful. And whatever they received, they also generously let go whenever the need arose. They were together and had all things in common, verse 44. You see that they sold their possessions and they gave to those in need. They were concerned for one another. Now, these verses don't mean that Christians in the early church rejected private ownership. They weren't forced by the state or the church to to sell everything they had. It was voluntary. And it doesn't mean they sold everything they had. They couldn't gather into each other's homes if none of them owned, owned homes. But they held their worldly possessions loosely. They received everything with open hands, just ready to give it away if the need came. So we see here a picture of the mindset that Paul commands in Philippians 2, when he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we get a picture here of a healthy church that was praising God and serving one another. They were joyful and generous servants. They were day by day together People and they were this way because they were a changed people. That's not how ordinary people live. Something had radically changed. We see the change in verse forty-three. Do you notice in verse forty-three it says, "And awe came upon." Every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This was an awe struck people. If you walked into their homes, if you saw them in the temple, you would not get the impression well, they're at it again. They're not really excited. I don't know why they're here. Probably they just have a strong sense of duty. Boy, are these a bunch of bored people praising God. You would walk in and you would see them and they would just be emanating with a, a radiant awe. Who would live like this? Who would live in an otherworldly way? Only people who were captured by something beyond this world. These people were transfixed by something greater than this world. They loved something more than this world. They rejoiced in something other than this world. They feared something outside this world, and this is why they gladly lived unlike the world and generously gave away the things of the world. Now, some might read these verses, and some do, arguing, well, the awe was the result of all of the signs and wonders. I mean, if you were experiencing miracles every day, you'd have a sense of awe. Now, I have no doubt that the signs and wonders increased the sense of awe, but the way Luke writes this account does not make the awe the result of the signs and wonders. The awe is the result of what we're going to see in verse 42. So we'll come back to it. But what we see in verse 43 is that a healthy church is filled with the powerful sense of God's presence. They recognize that they live every day before the very face of God. They are living in his presence. And if you have a sense of the presence of the awesome God, you will live with awe. But again, just like with the growth, this awe is not something we control. We can't change people. We can't even change ourselves. We cannot make ourselves feel this awe. So we notice that the very two. The first two characteristics of a healthy church are things we don't create or control. We don't save souls. We don't give souls a sense of awe that leads to radical, holy living. For God added to their number, and it says that awe came upon them. It's just something that they received, not something they manifested, so we may begin to wonder, what is our control, under our control? How do we become a healthy church? Well, we see in these verses that even though there are things outside of our control that we do not create, there is something under, within our control. We can control what we commit ourselves to. We can control what we are daily devoted to. And so we see that the healthy church is a spiritually growing community, a radically changed community, because number three, it is a devoted community. And that word in verse 42 for devoted means to be persistent, to persevere. It refers to continuous action. So what we read here is what they did day after day, week after week. These were the essential activities of their Christian lives. So what did they commit themselves to? First, we see that they were devoted. They were committed to the apostles' teaching. As I said, this is why they attended the temple day by day. They gathered over and over to hear the apostles teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To explain in the reality of Christ and what he has done and to exalt in that reality. The apostles were teaching as we hear in the various speeches of Acts, that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose again for the forgiveness of their sins. They were teaching all that we read in the gospel accounts of everything Jesus said and did. They were teaching what we find in the New Testament letters, how to keep believing and persevering in this faith day after day. They were teaching what the Old Testament means now in light of Christ. And the impression that we get of this early church is that they couldn't get enough of this teaching. They came to hear more. And so one of the marks of a healthy Christian and a healthy church is an insatiable hunger for the Word of God. To grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. It is to have every day a a painful pleasure. It's painful because you're never getting all that you desire. But it's pleasurable because even the desire for God is, is a greater experience than anything else in this world. Now we don't have the apostles anymore but we still have their teaching. We have the whole counsel of God contained in the Old and New Testaments. And so we can still read it every day. We can still sit under the preaching and teaching of it. See, healthy churches are filled with travelers who everywhere they go are looking for the commands of Christ. I love how the psalmist prays in Psalm 119. He says, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Is that how we pray? Is that what we can honestly say about ourselves? My soul is consumed with longing for your rules. Who wants rules? Christians do. They want to know everything that God is telling them to do because they know that is the path to joy and peace and hope. And so, good shepherd, I ask us, are we desperate to know God? Desperately devoted to knowing him in his word? That We can't wait to come to worship on Sunday morning, not because we have a great preacher. You don't have a great preacher. You just have me. Sometimes you get Pastor Ryan, and he's a little better. But you don't come for the preachers. You come for the word preached, and you don't care who's telling it to you. If they're giving you the word, it's the best day of your life. You're not listening just to critique everything they say and how they say it, but you just, you want the word. Is that how we feel? Do we wake up every morning and we feel like we are the luckiest people in the world because we can go to our shelf, we can open up God's word, and we can eat it and drink it all over again? Are we consumed with this longing? second we see that they were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted, in other words, to being together. The church is described as the body of Christ. And can you possibly know somebody if you never are around their body? We cannot be with Christ and never be with his body. We cannot know Christ and not know his body. We cannot love Christ and not love his body. Fellowship with Jesus requires fellowship with his people. John says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see what John says there? You have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with God. So fellowship with us is fellowship with the Father and the Son. This obviously includes, includes Lord's Day worship. You get hints throughout the New Testament. They, they refer to when they would gather on the first day of the week, what they called the Lord's Day. You read church history, and they're always gathering on the Lord's Day, Sunday corporate worship is non-negotiable for healthy Christians. See, it's not only one of the ways we devote ourselves to the to the apostles teaching, it's one of the ways we devote ourselves to the fellowship. Because what sweeter communion can we have than when we come together with other people who believe and worship the same God that we do? when we come and pray with and for one another, when we sing to God and to one another, when we rejoice in the same baptism, when we feast at the same table, when we confess the same sins and we hear the same gospel promises. I pray that we would love corporate worship because it's where we're with God's people. And to be with his people is in a unique way to be with him. I pray that we would love it so much that we would love the word so much that we come on Sunday morning and then we go home and we want to come back on Sunday evening because we can't get enough. We love corporate worship. But this devotion to the fellowship is not limited to a a once-a-week reality or even a a twice-a-week reality. You see that they were together day by day. They knew each other's needs. They served each other. They shared their homes and their resources. We shouldn't just see each other on Sunday. Now, this doesn't mean we we have to literally see each other every day. I will be the first to say, I will not survive if I have to see people every single day. I need alone time. You need alone time, and that's okay. But do we want to be with God's people, not just on Sunday, but on a Monday, on a Thursday? Do we want to get together to to study God's Word together, to just fellowship together, to eat together, to be hospitable? Most of what we read in these verses was not officially organized church programs. There's things churches can do to help organize fellowship. I think fellowship is at its best when it's just God's people just Love God and love being together so much that it just starts to happen naturally. Healthy churches are devoted to God's word. They are devoted to God's people. For we are Christ's body, his family, his temple. But we also see that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now that may just be referring to the hospitality we see later in verse 46. It's probably, at at least including, partaking of the Lord's Supper together. Christians would often partake of the Lord's Supper at the end of a meal, and it seems fairly clear that every time they gathered to worship the Lord, they celebrated the Lord's Supper together. So we are in good historical company when we do that each week. But why is it so important to be devoted to the same sacrament together? Because in this way, we are reminded every week that our unity, our communion with one another is centered on the cross of Christ. Because in the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death. We come to Christ together. We see that our communion with one another depends on our ongoing communion with Jesus. It helps saturate our fellowship with the grace and blood of Christ. Because when we come to the table together, we acknowledge our sin together. We see that we are not better than anyone else. We are dealing with sin like everyone else, and we are coming to the same Savior. The table humbles us, it strengthens us, we find forgiveness, and therefore we are encouraged to keep being patient, loving, and forgiving one another. I don't know how we can come to the same table to receive the forgiveness of Christ if we then go sit back in our pews and say, well, I'm not forgiving the person who hurt me last week. We must Let our fellowship be soaked with the blood of Christ week after week. Finally, we see that they were devoted to the prayers, which probably refers to individual prayers as well as set corporate prayers. Prayers in private, prayers in public. There is no such thing as a healthy church that is prayerless. The healthy church is a praying church. For when we pray, we are depending upon our God in all things. We access the throne of mercy and God's powerful help in our times of need. This is one reason why we have one service each month month, month entirely devoted to prayer. We love preaching at Good Shepherd. We also ought to love prayer, because our preaching is useless if we're not praying. And we don't just need to hear our pastors or elders pray up front. We need to hear each other pray. We need to hear that others are praying for us and with us. We need to be reminded to be praying for one another and not just our own particular needs. Because in the prayers of God's people, we find strength to persevere for another day. If we recognize that there are many things outside of our control that only God could create, what better use of our time is there than to pray and ask God to do what only he can do? We are a people that are are filled with, with pains and hurts and sorrows. And yes, you need your pastor, you need preaching, you need one another. You need to know each other. It's one of my favorite things about this church. I actually think it's something that, that we do well, but we can do it better. Love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, be together. Your pastors will come and go. You will remain with one another. This devotion is intentional commitment. The fact that they had to be devoted to these things reminds us that it's hard to do the same little things over and over, day after day. It's why we have to be committed. Healthy churches are committed to being healthy. Just like with physical health, it is hard to exercise regularly, to eat the right foods, to drink enough water, to get enough sleep. If you're not committed to healthy living, you're not going to be healthy. And the same is true spiritually. But what I want to leave you with this morning is to notice that it was these everyday activities that led to the sense of awe. In verse 43... The signs and wonders accompanied all of this, but Luke says they devoted themselves to these things, to the word, to prayer, to fellowship, to the sacraments, and awe came upon every soul. The connection is clear. Devotion to God's word kept God's voice in their ears. Devotion to the fellowship kept them in contact with Christ's body. Devotion to the Lord's supper kept Christ's death first in their hearts and minds. Devotion to the prayers kept them all running to the very throne of God to receive the help they needed. Awe comes in the presence of the awesome God. And God tells us this is where we find his presence, in these wonderfully ordinary everyday activities. And this really comforts and encourages me. Because it means that to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, to live in his presence, to experience his power, to have a sense of wonder, we don't have to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. We don't have to go on some epic journey. We we don't need to have dreams and visions. We don't need to have killer strategies and programs. We don't need audible voices from heaven. We just need Christ's Word, Christ's Spirit, and Christ's people. Every day has new mercies. God promises us that. But we learn that we find those new mercies in the same old activities that God's people have been doing for centuries, for millennia now. Go and read Justin Martyr, a a second century apologist, as he describes how Christians lived in those days and how they worshipped. It sounds wonderfully similar to what we do now. When we see that we're doing what God has commanded his people to do day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, century after century, we know we're on the right path. And so when you wake up every day, having maybe had a a hard day the day before, when you read your Bible, pray, serve, give, change diapers, raise children, love your spouse, worship, sing, do your job, go to sleep, you know that you have been living in the presence of God. And then you wake up and you get to do the same things all over again. We think we need all these new exciting experiences to to sense God's presence. We just need to be faithful in the things that God has called us to do day after day. God's majesty is present in what we find mundane. God's glory is found in what we think is really ordinary. I pray we will wake up each morning with new eagerness and excitement to keep doing the same old things. And so when we come to a new year, people sometimes ask, oh, What's, your, what's the theme for ministry this year? Same as it was last year. Same as it will be next year. It is to worship our God. To hear his word. To love and serve one another, caring for each other's needs. It's to teach our children the gospel that they may grow in maturity. It is to go forth to the campus and into the community and tell sinners of their Savior that God might save some of them. We will never be an innovative church. We will probably never be very exciting to a lot of people's eyes. We will be faithful plotters. And we will plod day after day to love the Lord, to love his people. And I believe that is how we will live with a daily sense of awe. That we get to wake up and be God's children for another day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do ask that you would give us the grace and strength to remain committed to your word, to the fellowship of your people, to the breaking of bread corporately and in our homes, and to the prayers. And I pray that as we do these things, you would awaken us again to your awesome presence. And that we would be excited to love you and to love one another. Lord, this is hard. We need your strength to persist. But we thank you that you have promised to be with us always to the end of the age. And so we ask these things trusting in the promise of Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.